Week two, get loyal and let God work it. We discovered last week that King David walks into his first kingship, if you will, but not over king of Israel, that he was anointed and dubbed the king of, anybody remember? King of Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we found that David had to wait another seven and a half years after waiting 15 to 20 years to walk into the destiny that God had told him he would walk into when he was just a shepherd boy. And we talked about that David being promised to walk into this destiny. It required a lot of patience with him and humility, understanding that he had to wait more time to become what God told him he would become. And if you remember, just in the context of what's going on, there was this dude by the name of Abner, and he was a general over the army that remained loyal to the family of Saul. And Abner is actually the one who appointed Saul's fourth son, Ishbosheth, over king of the rest of Israel. David uh, found out and knew that Saul had died in the battle, and so did Saul's three sons. And we talked a couple weeks ago how oftentimes we try to put things into our own perspective and our own, under own understanding. And I'm sure David went through a moment where he thought in his understanding Saul and the sons were dead. He would have taken over the ability to be king. But in fact, there was a fourth son. So he had to practice patience. He had to rely on God's understanding and not his. And we found out that something was happening in the middle of the seven and a half more years of waiting. And we found it in 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. And as time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Look at that. David was king over one of the tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in seven and a half years, David was no longer in this place of running. He was no longer in this place of hiding. His one tribe became stronger and stronger and stronger. And the reign of the rest became weaker and weaker and weaker. Because the truth is, when you become someone that walks step by step with God, he makes all things impossible. He makes the impossible possible. And he makes all things work together for your good. And so many times we come to these places in life where God calls us to, 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 to serve here, but we feel like that's too low for what we're supposed to do or it doesn't make sense for what we are called to be. It doesn't line up with what God's told me I'm going to become. But David did not care what it looked like. All he cared about is I want to seek God and God has told me to go to Hebron and be king over Judah and I don't care how long it takes, I will rest in what he has called me to do and where he has called me to be. And I think so many times in life we get wrapped up in, I'm tired of being here. When God says, if you will just embrace here, I'll make you stronger and stronger so that when it's time for you to walk into your calling, you will be so strong in me that the difficult things that you couldn't handle right now will become weak to you. <laughs> Did y'all catch that? There's so many times that we think it's time to go in, but you may not be strong enough to handle it right now. 
So God says, let me let you excel here in the smaller capacity, and I'm going to make you stronger and stronger. So when it's time for you to walk in, the things that you could not handle right now, you'll be able to handle with ease because you're not depending on your strength. You're depending on God's. So in 2 Samuel chapter 3, it goes on, starting in verse 2. These are the sons who were born to David in Hebron. The oldest was Amnon, whose mother was Ahinoam from Jezreel. The second was Daniel, whose mother was Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. The third was Absalom, whose mother was Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. I'm doing really good tonight. <laughs> the fourth was Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith. I'm glad my mom's name ain't Haggith. She's a Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah, whose mother was Abital. The sixth was Ithream, whose mother was Agla, David's wife. These sons were all born to David in Hebron. And I was reading that, and I thought, you know, okay, is this just one of those fillers? But God showed me something on that. David is in the seven and a half years, and he's growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And in the midst of going stronger and stronger and stronger, we find a flaw. What was David's flaw? He had not had the revelation of truth that polygamy is not what God wanted. The dude had six different wives and six kids, one by each of them. So we should not attribute God's blessing to the fact that David was a perfect man. The only qualifier for David was not how great he did everything. It was he was a seeker of God's own heart. That is the only qualifier for God to want to do things with you. That is the only qualifier for God to say, you are worthy of me putting my strength in you. Now, there's so many times that we take that idea. Well, God, it's okay because David was just seeking God and God's going to use it and God's going to bless it. And we, 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 we label that as grace. And what we do so many times is we say, well, grace is going to allow me to keep messing up and do what I need to do. But that's called prostituting grace. Grace does not allow you to keep walking in something you've messed up in. Grace simply opens up access that you had nothing prior to before. What is the access? Now we can access Jesus and come to him unto repentance. And the thing is with grace and repentance, it does not excuse you from dealing with the sins that you are going through. Because David grew stronger and he getting ready for this reign as king. But later on in the story, we're going to find out David was going to have to deal with the sin of polygamy. You want to know how he's going to deal with the sin of polygamy? Abnon, the, 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 one of the first sons, he rapes his sister. And then his other son, Absalom, kills him. And then Absalom nearly succeeds in stealing the throne from his own father. And then Adonijah, later on, he tries to take his father's throne. You've got the fruit of sin eventually coming back to bite David in the butt. And what we do in the church is, oh, God loves you, and it doesn't matter that you sin, and he's just going to embrace you. Yes, he embraces you, but he does not excuse your sin. He says, you're no longer going to have to walk through the restoration process alone. I've got you, and I'm going to walk you through it. And with me, I'm going to make you stronger. We're dealing with it on your own was going to make you weaker. <laughs> See, we all got these things we deal with, and we think, well, God knows that I sin. And we use that as an excuse to keep doing it because God's still going to bless me. 
not understand that you may be blessed, but are you growing stronger? And do you realize what you're going to reap of sowing into that lifestyle that God never wants you to sow into anymore? You may not be reaping anything now, but you will reap because what you sow, what you reap, it is a law. You can't get out of that. And God says, I'm the one who put that law into the universe. So if you will abide in me, I'm going to walk you through it. Is this okay? Okay. But thank God for his love and grace. God says, I cannot exempt you from having to go through it. But I won't let you go through it alone. And if you trust me, I'll work it. And if you seek me, I'll bless you. So continue on in verse 6. It says, as the war between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. Now, I want you to remember Abner. This is the same guy, remember like weeks and weeks and weeks ago that David snuck into the camp and all these soldiers were circled around Saul and there was one dude who was supposed to like protect Saul when he was sleeping and David got through him, took the sword, ran out and said, hey, Abner, what you doing, man? This is the same guy. Wasn't exactly a great military leader. This is the same Abner who just lost a battle last week that we talked about. He lost a battle where David's army took out 360 of his, and Abner only took out 19 of David's. But this verse just said, as the war became, as the war between the Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader. He became a powerful leader for those loyal to Saul. One day, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rizpah, daughter of Ai. Abner was furious. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this? How many of you have ever been accused of something you didn't do and you feel like, like people have no respect for you? He, he, who, who are you to do this to me? After all I've done for your father Saul and his family, and his friends by not handing you over to David? Is this my reward? That you find fault with me about this woman? Abner has seen firsthand how great God has made David. Victory after victory. David having the favor to walk into camps without waking up a single military soldier. But Abner is loyal to Saul's dynasty. And he became a powerful leader, loyal to Saul's dynasty. And no matter how great he saw what David did, he stayed loyal to Saul. And even though he is so loyal to Saul and Saul's son Ishbosheth, it's not enough. Because his loyalty to Saul's dynasty, in that Abner gets disrespected and he's crossed by the very man he was loyal to. What are you loyal to? There are so many times we see the blessings of God and the promises of God and we read the scripture and we come to church and we hear these sermons and God's going to do this and God's going to do that and God's mighty and God can do all things. But what are you loyal to? Because if anything that you're loyal to is not of God, it will come back to make an accusation on you that will make you question everything. Because a lot of times we're loyal to what seems like is advantageous to us at the time and we're not loyal to the things that don't seem advantageous and let's just be honest 
Sometimes the things of God don't seem like they're too much of an advantage to us right now. Sometimes patience does not seem like it's an advantage. Sometimes humility does not seem like it's an advantage. Sometimes showing mercy and forgiveness doesn't seem like it's an advantage. And what we'll do is we'll retreat to the things that we're loyal to. We're loyal to this thing that gives us comfort. We're loyal to this conversation that makes us feel better about ourselves. We're loyal to all this stuff, and we never sit and we say, let me be loyal to what God has called me to be loyal to. And Abner had this realization in this moment that he's been loyal to this thing his whole life. And he says, I've been loyal to the, I've been loyal to the wrong thing. I've been loyal to this idea that Saul was chosen, that Saul was the man, that Saul was great, and I've let my pride cause me from seeing truth. And what I love about Abner is he doesn't beat himself up for it. Look at what he does in verse 9. May God strike me and kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah, all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. Abner had become a very powerful general who was very loyal, but he was loyal to the wrong thing. And in being loyal to the wrong thing, he had a revelation that he needed to get loyal to the right thing. He didn't beat himself up about it. He get, didn't get depressed about it. He didn't rethink his life. He simply changed direction. He said, I'm no longer going to stay loyal to you. I'm going to take what I've learned here. I'm going to take what I have advantage in. I'm going to take what I have strength in, and I'm going to turn it over to David, and I'm going to take whatever was the enemy's and give it to David. And sometimes God says, you have learned how to be loyal here so much, and you've had some strengths, and you've learned some things. You've learned, some, you've, you've learned the ways of the world. you learned this. you learned that. And he says, would you just leave the loyalty from that and just give me the loyalty? Because if you give me the loyalty, what Whatever you've learned over there, I want to use it to take it back from my kingdom. You've learned how to talk to the drug addicts. Let's come over here and get the lost found. You've learned how to deal with people in bars. Let me use that for my advantage. You've learned the effects of gossip. Let's bring the loyalty over here and change the conversation from gossip to truth. He says, just change the direction. You know what it's called? It's called repentance. You've been loyal here. Stop thinking you're not worthy enough to change directions and go there. But you cannot have divided loyalty. You're either on one side or you're on the other. And there's so many believers in this time who have divided loyalty. We're loyal to God and say, God, we love you and we will do whatever you ask. But I can't give up this because this is what I believe to be true. And Jesus says, you know what the truth is? He says, I am the truth. The truth is not an opinion. The truth is him. And if Jesus says this is the way, it doesn't matter what you think. That's where you got to change directions to loyalty with. And we wonder why we're in these seasons of life where our wheels spin round and round. We can't go anywhere. Because when you're loyal to things to not of God... It will cause you to be in this place where you can never move forward because the loyalty you've been given has no ability to produce fruit. Look at where, Ab look at where Abner was. He was loyal 
to a king who lost every battle. All of them. There wasn't one battle in this entire last 17 weeks that David didn't win. In fact, David spared their lives a few times. But he still stayed loyal to the wrong thing. I wonder how many of us stay loyal to the wrong thing even though we see that that thing we stay loyal to never produces victory. And we can talk about the obvious things like maybe an alcohol problem or a drug problem or, uh, or, or a sexual problem or whatever it is, but let, 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 let's get to the things we don't like to talk about. Revenge, bitterness. We love to stay, <laughs> we love to stay loyal to bitterness because you don't know what they did to me. You don't understand what it's like. You don't know what I've had to deal with. This is exactly where Abner is. He's like, this is what I get for doing all this correctly? I get my legs taken out from under me? You're going to accuse me of this horrible thing? But isn't that what we do? Like bad stuff happens, and when God says turn away from it, God, you don't know what happened. God, God, you don't know. You don't know what I'm going through. And Jesus is like, I've been tempted in all points, further than you will ever be tempted. Trust me, I get it. And the reason I've called you to leave loyal to bitterness and revenge is because I have something you can turn to that will produce nothing but victory in what you're trying to gain victory in. You will never gain victory in revenge. <laughs> You'll never gain victory in bitterness. So he says, get loyal to me and let me work it. Hmm. Look at Psalm 108, 13. With God's help, we will do mighty things. He will trample down our foes. <laughs> I love that Isbosheth didn't say another word to Abner because he was afraid of what Abner might do. You want to know why he was afraid? He wasn't afraid of Abner. He was afraid of the truth that David was far stronger and he didn't stand a chance. They said, we've seen what God has done in David's life. And it was enough for Abner to cross sides. I wonder how many people in our lives have never come to God. You would think they would never change their ways. And God says, with my help, I'll do mighty things that you couldn't do. And we'll trample down foes. See, your friend who is a sinner is not the foe. They're loyal to the foe. And God says... If you'll be loyal to me, they will see such victory in you that they will have no choice but to cross over loyalty from what they know, from the ways of the world, to the truth. You know, I think sometimes we just complicate the gospel. It's really simple. Show them Jesus. That's what the Great Commission is. Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciplined follower of Jesus. Why would they ever want to follow the disciplines of a person they've never known? Because they've seen your victory over and over. Why were they so quick to let the disciples lay hands on them? 
because I don't recall one story that disciples walked around needing healing. These were dudes that went from people trying to make money by fishing and not having great trades to walking around with their head up in victory, casting out demons and healing people, and they were good to go. They weren't hungry. They, 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 they were with the king, and they were joy, and they were happy, and then people were like, what is going on with you? And then they said, well, can I pray for you? And they said, yeah. All because of loyalty to a man that said, will you follow me? What are you loyal to? Matthew 12, 30, it says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. I wonder where your loyalty qualifies you in that scripture. Because this isn't talking about proclaiming belief in Jesus. This is, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're loyal to something else in that area, you are not with him. And you wonder why you're not getting answer prayers. Because if you're not with me, you're against me. After Jesus rose again, he went looking for Peter. And Peter was in the exact same place as Jesus found him three years prior. He was fishing. And he looks at Peter and he says, do we need to go through this process all over again? Casting it on the other side. Peter does it and he realizes it's Jesus and Jesus takes him through the same conversation. And I wonder how many times Jesus wants to have the same conversation over and over with us. Like, I want to do things for you and I want to, I want to have breakthrough in your life. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to lay down your nets? Are you just going to stop trying to fish for what you're fishing for and become a fisher of men? When are you going to be loyal to me? Because if you're not loyal to me, you're against me. And if you're working against me, I can't work things together for your good. You got to get loyal and you got to let God work it. Is this good? <laughs> I wonder where your loyalty qualifies you. Not by the words that you speak, but where you're willing to be loyal in and what you are to be loyal in, knowing that God will work it. Going on in the story in 2 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it says, Abner sent messengers to David, saying, Doesn't this entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me, and I will, turn, I will help turn over all of Israel to you. Can you imagine, like, the smile on David's face? This dude who was just killed, trying to kill his men, just said, Hey, man, I'm loyal to you. Let's do it. All right, David replied, verse 13. But I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come. David then sent this message to Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Give me back my wife, Michal, away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. Palti followed along behind her as far as Bahurim, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, go back home. So Palti returned. That was how powerful Abner was. Just a sentence, go back home. Someone wanting his wife back went, turned. Meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the elders of Israel. For some time now, he told them, you want to make David your king. Now's the time. The Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from all their enemies. Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin, and then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. 
When Adner and 20 of his men came to Hebron, David entertained them with a great feast. David's getting, it's, it's coming into play. Seven and a half years. I'm, it's about to happen. Then Abner said to David, let me go and call an assembly of all Israel and support my lord, the king. He's no longer calling Saul the king. He's no longer calling Ishbosheth the king. He's referring to David. They will make a covenant with you to make you their king, and you will rule over everything your heart desires. So David sent Abner safely on his way. But just after David had sent Abner away in safety, Joab and some of David's troops returned from a raid, bringing much plunder with them. When Joab arrived, he was told that Abner had just been there visiting the king and had been sent away in safety. 24. Joab rushed to the king and demanded, What have you done? What do you mean by letting Abner get away? You know perfectly well that he came to spy on you and find out everything you're doing. Now let's look at some context here. Abner has totally changed directions. He shifted loyalty from Ishbosheth, a weaker and weaker, a growing weaker and weaker army of Saul's dynasty, and he shifts allegiance to David. Joab wasn't there to see all this. And when he was told that Abner was there, we're about to see how loyal Joab really is. David has overcome every obstacle. He has gone through hell on earth. He has gone from shepherd to working in a palace to trying to be killed in the palace for simply serenading the dude. And then he goes on the run for 10 or 15 years almost. And now he's finally back in uh, Israel. You would think Joab knew what David was doing. The enemy certainly did. Remember Ishbosheth? I'm not going to say another word because you told me you're about to give me to David. The enemy knew how strong David was. They, they saw the blessing of God on David's life. But Joab, that wasn't enough for him. Joab doesn't depend on his loyalty to a leader that is clearly seeking God. All Joab knew was what was his understanding, and he'd rather be loyal to the decision that he would rather be loyal to his understanding than the decision of a leader that he has chosen to follow. And there are so many times that God calls us as a body to walk in faith, and oftentimes we don't walk in faith because we get wrapped up too much in our own understanding. You know, I, I haven't made the, the greatest decisions as a leader at Relentless, and I don't mean the, 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 the end decision. I mean the process. I do some stupid stuff sometimes. I did something kind of stupid coming into this space, actually, and I'm not too prideful to admit it. I didn't really let everyone know what was going on from the get-go. I kind of just announced one night, hey, we're getting a space, and we need to raise some money. That week was the most stressful week in my life. Because I, I had to meet with all my leaders and all the, the, the regular volunteers because they all had the question, uh, what? <laughs> and I had to explain, and everyone was on board with it. And then within a month and a half, we raised $50,000. It was the right decision. God blessed it. But sometimes leaders get the process wrong. Sometimes we don't do things in the best way. But we've also got to come together and say, are we going to walk out in faith? It's a stupid decision to give up a large, large space that was only, you know, uh, under $1,000 a month to go to a space that's like a quarter of the size for twice as much money. 
But look at what God's doing. We've just acquired this space, and I haven't really told this, but the dude said in a year and a half, we can have that one if we wanted it. God's blessing it. But we wouldn't have seen the fruit of that had we not walked on some faith. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what Joab couldn't handle. I'm just going to trust David. I'm going to trust the, I'm going to trust the man that God's hands on. He, he said, no, 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 no. I, I can't do this. You know, in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others at better than yourselves, as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. I can tell you with a thousand percent confidence that every decision I've ever made at Relentless has not been about me. It's been about you. And I'm happy to proclaim that. You know why I made this move? Because I didn't see people talking to each other. I didn't see believers doing life together. I saw people falling through the cracks. And now I'm starting to see a strong family. I'm starting to see people who, who are not separated by occupation or, or income or, or race or culture or even age. I'm starting to see a group of people starting to come together and say, hey, we're going to do something in this city. We've got to think of others more than ourselves. We've got, we've got to look out for the best interests of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Unity is not just having a good time. Unity is I'm making you, I'm making myself about you. I'm going to see your dreams come true. What can I do to pour into you? If we would all just pour into each other in relationship and unity, we would go further than any church has ever gone. And I'm not talking about the numbers or the size of the building. I'm talking about a church with influence. I'm talking about a church that when people walk in, they don't have to have a conversation of do you believe in this or do you believe in that or will you accept my sin. I believe it will be so unified that when sin walks in, it has to fall to the ground and there'll never be a conversation needed to have. I believe it. And that's where we're going. I've had two or three conversations this week about issues of homosexuality and drunkenness. And, and you know, my, my, my thing is just, just get in the love. Because we're going to embrace you, and your stuff can't stay on you when we embrace you. But you know what it takes? It takes for us to humble ourselves and love the sinner, understanding that you're not loving the sin. You're loving them who are loyal to the foe. Because that's all they know. Are y'all hearing me? Look at what David did. All Abner had to say was, I'm going to help make you do whatever you're called to do. And David said, okay. After the dude just tried to kill his people, he embraced him. <laughs> and in verse 26, we see Joab left David and sent messengers to catch up with Abner, asking him to return. They found him at the well of Syrah and brought him back, though David knew nothing about it. You see where Joab's loyalty really was. It wasn't to David, it wasn't to his people, it was him. When Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak to him privately. And then he stabbed Abner in the stomach and killed him in revenge for killing his brother, Asahel. Joab wasn't being loyal to God. 
He wasn't being loyal to David. He was being loyal to, to revenge. Because remember, in the story we talked about last week, there was a dude named Asahel who ran like a gazelle. And Abner shouted back, don't run after me. You're not going to win. And Asahel kept running, and it ended up costing him his life. And Joab only saw one thing. You killed my brother. So he was so loyal to that bitterness and so loyal to that revenge that he goes and shanks a man who was about to bring David into kingship. I wonder how many missed opportunities there are because we are so caught up in being loyal to, to ourselves and the past and everything else and not to God. God says, would you be loyal to me and let me work it? I'll work out the revenge. Let me avenge you. You claim that I'm stronger, but you won't let me take care of what happened to you? You claim that I'm great, but you won't do what I command you to do and be humble to my process? And the whole time, you're killing the very thing that's going to take you into destiny. Because God says, you are obviously not for me. You are against me. And in verse 28, when David heard about it, he declared, I bow by the Lord that I am my kingdom of forever innocent of the crime against Abner, son of Nair. Joab and his family are the guilty ones. May the family of Joab be cursed in every generation with a man who has open sores or leprosy or who walks on crutches or dies by the sword or begs for food. Can I just say that Mothers and fathers, check what you're loyal, loyal to so the sins of your loyalty don't pass on to the next generation. You want to protect your kids? Get pure. I'm just going to say that like five more times. You want your kids to be better than you? Protect them by making sure you shift to complete loyalty. Joab's generations and generations they all have something wrong with them. And they're going to have to fight through the sins of their father's past. It's called generational curses. And for those of you that might be struggling with things that are from a generational curse, stop blaming mom and daddy and just shift your loyalty and you'll come out from under it. Because this is how a generational curse works. Someone's born into a sin and they don't know why they're sinning. They don't know why they had that desire. They likely had the desire because it came through the bloodline. And what they do is they say, this is just who I am. No, it's not who you are. But they don't understand that. So we embrace them so that they can see where they need to shift loyalty to. <laughs> I can tell this is Holy Spirit because I don't know what the heck I'm saying right now. <laughs> this <sighs> undivided loyalty. And look at verse 30. So Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother Asahel at the battle of Gibeon. And then David said to Joab and all those who were with him, tear your clothes and put on burlap, mourn for Abner. And King David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. They buried Abner and he brought in the king and all the people wept at his graveside. And then the king sang his funeral song for Abner. Should Abner have died as fools die? 
Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not chained. No, you were murdered, the victim of a wicked plot. And all the people wept again for Abner. David had refused to eat anything on the day of the funeral, and now everyone begged him to eat. But David had made a vow, saying, May God strike me and kill me if I eat anything before sundown. This dude was mourning Abner. This pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the king did pleased them. So everyone in Judah and all of Israel <laughs> understood that David was not responsible for Abner's murder. And then King David said to his officials, don't you realize that a great commander has fallen today in Israel? And even though I'm the anointed king, these two sons of Zeruiah, Joab and Abashi, they're too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay these evil men for their evil deeds. There's a couple things going on here. Look at how close David was to walking in the kingship of Israel because a great general was about to hand it over to him. And an injustice happens. Abner, the one who seemingly is going to take him into this kingship, is taken unjustly. And injustice has happened in Israel today. Abner was murdered. Without reason, without shackles on, he wasn't arrested, he was taken away. And then he says something that gives us tremendous insight into David. He says, I'm anointed king, but these two sons are too strong for me to control. Why? Because David wasn't king over all of Israel. David at this point was only king of Judah. He says, I don't have the authority to bring justice to this injustice. They are too strong. They are with another tribe, and I am not their king. I do not have the authority to bring justice to this. I wonder how many times you found yourself in a place of frustration because you want to see an injustice corrected, but you don't have the power to do anything about it. And you know what God's telling you? There are some things that you don't have the authority to correct, and you've got to trust that we are a connected body and that, some, that God has placed that in someone else to bring. And if you don't have the authority to correct the, the injustice, stop complaining about that one and start bringing justice to the ones that you are having authority over. We complain so much about all kind of issues in the city. If you don't have any authority or power to correct it, maybe you should start by looking at what's in your house. Maybe what's in your workplace. Maybe the friendships you have, the relationships you have. But we get so wrapped up in that, that, and that, that we don't do what David did as wise in saying, it's too strong for me to control. What do you do? David remained humble and loyal to God and the lines of authority. And he says, I'm loyal to my God, and I'm going to let God work it. And his humility and not bringing justice to the thing that he didn't have authority over, look at the fruit of it. All of Israel saw that David was good. This entire time, Israel is living under a lie from King Saul that David has nothing but bad intentions for Israel. And in one moment, God took a bad injustice, Abner dying, and made the entirety of Israel say, that man's a real deal. It wasn't because David did anything. It was because David was loyal to his God, 
I said, I'm going to let my God work it. I'm not king. I'm staying in the authority lines. I'm going to humble, be humble to my God. I'm going to be loyal to humility. I'm not taking revenge. I'm going to be completely loyal. And on, on the other side of it, because there's a scripture that script, uh, skipped earlier in Proverbs 22, it says, don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. That's what David did. And then in the very next uh, chapter and chapter four, look at what it says in verse one. It says, when Ishbosheth says Saul's son heard about Abner's death at Hebron, he lost all courage and all of Israel became paralyzed with fear. You see what's starting to happen? His loyalty and his let God work it, Israel starts to fall. Now there were two brothers, Bana and Rechab, who were captains of Ishbosheth's raiding parties. They were sons of Remen, a member of the tribe of Benjamin who lived in Beeroth. The town of Beeroth is now part of Benjamin's territory because the original people of Beeroth fled to give them where they still live as foreigners. Yep. <laughs> Verse 4. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Everyone say Mephibosheth. You're going to need to know that in a few weeks. Who was crippled as a child. He was five years old. Remember when Jonathan died? Saul died and Jonathan died. Jonathan's David's best friend. When he was five years old, when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. As she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Lawsuit. Verse 5. One day, Rechab and Bana, the sons of Remen from Beeroth, went to Ishbosheth's house around noon as he was taking his midday rest. The doorkeeper, who had been sifting wheat, became drowsy and fell asleep. Every time someone's falling asleep in Saul's dynasty. So Rechab and Bonnet slipped past her and they went to the house. They found Ishbosheth sleeping on his bed. Now, before we read further, what did David promise? Anyone that's a descendant of Saul, we are not going to kill him. He hasn't been able to be any clearer than that. They struck him and killed him, they cut off his head. Then taking his head with them, they fled across the Jordan Valley through the night. I, I feel like some of these dudes with David are just plain stupid. Because look at what they do in verse 8. When they arrived at Hebron, they presented Ishbosheth's head to David. Look, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today, well, I can't imagine doing this with the head. Today, the Lord has given my Lord the king revenge on Saul and his entire family. Saul, David has made it aware. Don't kill him. And they're like, hey, David. So David says to Rechab and Bana, the Lord who saves from all the enemies is my witness. Someone once told me Saul is dead thinking he was bringing me good news, but I seized him and I killed him at Ziklag. That's the reward I gave him for his news. How much more should I reward evil men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and his own bed? Shouldn't I hold you responsible for his blood and rid the earth of you? So David ordered his young men to kill them. And they did. They cut off their hands and their feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. Why did I read that entire chapter to you? The chapter before, David says, I can't do anything with those two men because that's not my authority. But these two, they are under my authority. And I am called to bring justice to this situation. You see, the reason why I wanted to read that is we've been talking about humility tonight and being loyal. Humility is, doesn't mean you don't do something. Humility is do something that you're called to do. David could not touch the others because he had no authority. 
but these two he had complete authority over. Humility is bring justice in the area that you've been called to and in the areas you have not been called to. Be loyal to allow God to work it. You want to know what areas you're not called to bring justice to? You're not called to bring justice to your past hurts that you have revenge and bitterness over. That is not your authority. That's God's. He says, you don't get to bring justice to that. I do. Is this okay? <laughs> And because David stayed loyal in what he was called to, and because David let God work it, the most beautiful thing happens in the next chapter, in the first five verses. Look at 5 verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, remember, Hebron's the place David was called to go to first. King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him the king of Israel. Now all tribes were under his reign. He had walked into the place that he was prophesied to walk into almost 27 years ago. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven and a half years and six months. And from Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. David was loyal. He let God work it. And because David did not overstep and because he did not understep, he became king. He walked into his destiny. And there are so many of us, I believe, that don't walk into our purpose because our loyalty is divided and we don't trust God to work it. And if we've seen anything from David's life, if you leave with anything tonight, go home and make sure you change loyalty. I'm no longer going to be loyal to, to my ways or my revenge or my bitterness or my pride. I'm not going to be loyalty to who I think I should be. God, I'm going to be loyal to what you've called me to be. I'm going to let you handle what you need to handle. You tell me what I need to bring justice to. You tell me where I need to serve in. You tell me what I need to do. I'm no longer going to live that way. I am giving loyalty to you. And I'm letting you work it. And as we all stand, Psalm 37 says this in verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he'll help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. He says, all you've got to do is stay loyal to me and let me do it for you. Amen.